Hello, my friends. How you doing? This is Coffee Jug, and I'm here with episode number 81, where I get to speak with someone who I have considered an idol in education. And I know that's, geez, that's a little sappy, but it's true. I get a chance to speak with Jeff Robin, who is one of the founders and educators of High Tech High, and he taught there for 17 years. This might be the most powerful podcast episode on education we have had we dive into not just project-based learning but the importance of why teachers need to do the work first before they do it with students they need to we talk about the importance of why you need to love your work figure out who you are your hobbies your interests and how to infuse all that into the landscape of learning this is a real talk we are not here to candy coat anything and just lay a bunch of buzzwords out with that being said, I do want to, I guess, give you a warning because I know many of you are educators who might be listening to this in your classroom. There are a few swear words, and so if you're listening, just be cautious of that if you have a child in the car or if you're in the classroom listening to it on your overhead projector or something of that nature. Guys, I cannot wait to hear from you. I want your feedback. I want to hear what your thoughts are with this conversation. So phenomenal so powerful, and we just speak it like it is. All right, guys, I hope you enjoy this episode. Check the links, check the show notes, check it all out, and if you enjoy it, please share it. Take a screenshot and share it with your community. Let people know about this podcast. I'd greatly appreciate it. And with that, let's get into real talk on education and project-based learning with Jeff Robin. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation, Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker, living on the edge of chaos, born insane, listening to coffee chugs like caffeine for the boring, one of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born, here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hello everyone, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug and I'm here with another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. And this time, I'm so excited to actually get a chance to have a conversation with our guest today. I was so fortunate enough to work at a, a middle school um, back, geez, 2011. That feels like a long time ago because I guess it was. Man, I'm getting old. Uh, where we had a chance to go out and visit High Tech High as, as our school was trying to figure out project-based learning. And, and since that time and that visit, um, I have continued to follow the work of, of many of the people that we met there. Um, and this particular individual is one that um, we we still talk about the conversations and things that he shared with us all the way back then when, when the group of educators and, and I get together. And today we really want to focus on not just project-based learning, but just some honest conversation about things that are needed um, in the classroom as a teacher and as students. And I, I could think of no one better that's going to just shoot it from the hip and give it to us straight than our guest here. And so um, let's introduce uh, the person that we're talking about. So, so Jeff, if you could jump on here and just let everybody know kind of who you are, what you do, and you know all that good jazz, and then we'll dive right into the uh, good stuff here. Cool. Um, my name's Jeff Robin. I live in San Diego, and uh, I taught high school for 27 years. Um, I uh, I retired about a year and a half ago, um, and uh, some people said to me, "Gee, you know that's uh, that you're only 50 years old. Uh, why'd you retire?" Um, my my kids are high school students, and um, and so having a high school at home and at and at school uh, was 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 a little overwhelming. So I kind of dipped out as the kids would have said maybe five years ago. Um, I'm one of the founders of high tech high in San Diego and I taught AP courses before and I was, and I kind of came to this conclusion like this is around 1999. I don't want to do this. This is like, I'm just giving kids a bump in their GPA. It was kind of like the, in spinal tap where the, where the amps went to 11 and, um, <laughs> And I just didn't think that that was like why I was doing this. And then I uh, heard about this guy, Larry Rosenstock, who was starting a project-based learning high school. And I went in and I schmoozed with him and he gave me the job. And then we had to figure out in 2000, uh, starting in May, basically, or April, what did it mean to do a project-based learning high school and, um, and what project-based learning was. Now, in retrospect, 
I, it was perfect for me. Well, one, I kind of set up the schedule and I set up what I wanted to do, but I was interested in a lot of things. I used to build houses. I was a, a cook. I, uh, you know, studied art history and studied history. So I was an academic, but I was also like kind of a blue collar guy too. And so it was this, uh, combination of everything I was interested in and making and doing. Um, I also had a great, uh, and again, I figured this out in retrospect, I went to grad school to get my master's in fine arts at California College of Arts and Crafts, and there was this professor there who was like an old school guy from Monterey, California, and uh, his name was Ken Ringnold, and I would go in and see him preparing every morning to teach at seven o'clock in the morning and he would have his note card set up he would have his demonstration set up he he did the projects he did every demonstration fresh before he was going to do it again and i went in i said ken what are you doing why you've taught this for 30 years you don't need to do this and he looked at me and he said He's like, no, I, it's a new group of kids. It's a new ideas. You can't, you can't, um, you have to reinvent the wheel. You have to do the project yourself first. And I had taught for a few years before I went in there and I was a crappy teacher. And then after that, I, I still was a crappy teacher, but I started to use what he had taught me. And by the time I got to high tech high, I knew the most important thing, do the project yourself first. And if you're an art teacher, you have to do that because you need to know if, if it's fun, if it's interesting, if they're going to learn what you need to learn. And if you're a math teacher, you can't just take someone else's worksheets and hand them to your students because maybe you didn't go over it in the same way. Maybe there's something to it that you don't know. And, and it. And another aspect of this that I learned when I went to uh, – I'm giving all these pr – uh, prompts to my uh, former schools but I went to Emerson in uh, Boston and, uh, and that was in the 80s and it was now it's this amazingly high-tech place but this is pre-digital age but they did teach me was about communications and teaching I find is 80% communicating and 20% content knowledge so if you're a good communicator or if you practice your communications if you if you dot all the I's and cross all the T's, do the project yourself first, show an exemplar to your students, that's the most power, powerful thing. And that's what I did at High Tech High. Um, most people just say, you know, Jeff Robin, um, oh, do the project yourself first. And then I hear people come to me later and they go, oh, wow, I did the project myself first. And it was a lot better. <laughs> One yeah. guy said to me, like, oh, no. Jeff Robbins talking again. And then he, and he's like, and now I say, Hey, Jeff Robbins talking again. I'm like, well, I'm glad I, I got better instead of got worse. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> so I want to dive into that idea of, of, of doing the project first. And, um, you've got a, uh, you have a ton of awesome videos. I'll make sure I, I link it in the show notes. If people haven't seen your, your, your little videos of these ideas and you have a whole video on why we need to do the project, but that's something that I've seen. I know when I worked at the middle school, um, where we were trying to figure this out and still trying to figure it out. And now, now that I work with 21 school districts and everybody wants to do PBL, but nobody really wants to do the project ahead of time. Like they're like, they spend all this time, you know, beg, borrow and stealing, whether it's from high tech high, or another network and then they they come calling and emailing and texting in, in a moment of crisis going the project isn't working and it's like did you do the project no like so i want to dive into it's to always that. that it's always the same damn thing and i think it pisses people off that i'm the one that came up with it um uh it's it's happens every time and i'm not 100 percent sure why it happens but i've been told recently by people um well i'm uncomfortable showing people what i've done because maybe i'm not going to do a good job and this is adults saying this yes. and i'm like well how do you think the kids feel and it's it's amazing like i'm somebody as an artist i put my work up i just made five paintings for these people that usually love my paintings and they wanted to show it and they came in and looked at it and they said, no, these are terrible. And I'm like, all right. And I was a little sad, but I got over it. Artists are used to showing what they got and then getting the shit kicked out of them. Right. And right. The problem is, is that most people don't, aren't cool with criticism yet. We then criticize our students to no end. And it's, 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 um, that's hypocritical. Uh, but I, I get how scary it is. Like I'll write stuff, I'll put stuff up and then people will send me, I'm the worst speller in the world. And, um, and, uh, 
and and people will say to me, hey, you misspelled this word, or you put your and you spelled it Y O U R instead of apostrophe, uh, <laughs> uh, whatever U uh, E. Uh, um, and I said, oh, sorry, thanks for telling me. And they're like, aren't you embarrassed that you made a mistake? And you, and I'm like, no, because mistakes can be fixed. Right. And in there lies the issue. Um, and it kind of is going to get me onto my next topic. You need to make mistakes to learn. We need to make our schools a safe place to make mistakes. If you grade kids on their first draft and you say, look, you made this mistake, this mistake, this mistake, and you got a C, and then they make it better, but that C still weighing their grade down, that's telling them that it's not a safe place to make mistakes. And so I know grades are important or, or they're not important depending on your attitude, Like, but my, I want my kids to go to college and have a choice. Right. So it's this idea that teachers need to do the project themselves first so they can see that if it's relevant, how it fits into their curriculum what you need to do to actually make it so you can see what the pitfalls are and the bottlenecks. What I mean by bottlenecks is if every kid's doing it at the same time, am I going to be able to get through with this? My son right now is making these planner boxes in his class at high tech high and he's making a worm composting bench. Don't ask. And, uh, <laughs> but only, they only have enough tools for like three, two groups to work at the same time. And and this is a bottleneck in the end of the semesters in two weeks. And I love and adore his teacher, um, but he never made anything out of wood before. And he just like got a bunch of tools and thought it would be all right. Um, and he would wait until the end of the semester to do it, which is not project-based learning. So doing the project yourself first teaches you all those things. And the most important thing it teaches you, is it fun? Is it like a, a great experience? And it also teaches you the limitation of what the PBL is. It would have been great as if they made all these planter benches and worm composting and then studied, had time to study afterwards why you do these things, what information about it. But instead, they're just going to get it done and give it, have an exhibition, and that's it. So it's this, it goes back to just old school teaching. Like yeah. you tell kids what you're going to learn, you 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 do what you're doing that day and then you have time to recap and talk about what it was that we learned and i learned that in ed school at point loma nazarene college <laughs> and uh, and it's so funny i should really donate money back to the colleges i went to especially after this uh but i, I guess I, I will. so doing the project yourself first is is just such a must and um I, I always call it the PhD effect because, and no offense to anybody that has a PhD, but for some reason, people with PhDs feel like I don't need to do the project myself first. I know more about the subject than any, than these kids will ever know. And that's true, except for it's not about what you know. It's 80% is communication. It's what you've learned and how can you communicate it? And nothing communicates better than an exemplar. And I get, I, I totally get people's uh, love for doing a rubric, but honestly, and I tried to get behind rubrics. I've tried to like pull my you know snobbery out of it, but rubrics <laughs> set the ceiling. Rubrics don't exemplars set the floor. You say, look what I made. You have to make something better. Rubrics tell them the least they need to do to get the grade they want. And a lot of times it's it, they're written in such a way that they're very convoluted, they're very uh, teachery, they're ed speak, and the kids don't understand it and the parents don't understand it. And, and it's just um, – it, it needs to be a little more um, – it needs to be a little more open. And that kind of goes to the idea that you can do project-based learning, but you, you can't, and, and this is something I've learned too since being, being retired. Maybe I knew it, but now I totally understand it. Assessing project-based learning is very important because you don't want your assessment to stop the student's creativity. It goes back, remember that book in the nineties, uh, you learned everything you needed to learn in kindergarten yes, or yeah. how, Regard elementary school kids say, I want to be an artist, a photographer, an astronaut. And then by the time they get into high school, they're like, I don't know what I want to be, or I want to be an accountant. And, and, and it's just like, we take all the fun out of it. If we grade PBL the way with, that we uh, punitively grade quizzes and tests, you're going to kill project-based learning. And that's probably what you saw. You probably saw people just grading every little aspect of every little thing and, Instead of looking at what the students did, 
what they wanted to do, what they were able to do, and then talk to them afterwards and hear what they've learned. And that's how you need to evaluate project-based learning. And that's why you need to be a progressive teacher to do project-based learning. Um, but I did realize something new again. Um, there's this, uh, and I kind of tweeted about it recently, uh, the idea of uh, competency grading. Back when High Tech High started, before we even opened, uh, somebody suggested that we walk around with PDAs and constant, which is personalized digital assistance, pre-smartphone, and we would look at each student and see how they uh, were working with others, what their problem-solving ideas. We were going to grade them on, or we were going to evaluate them on their competencies, what they were able to do, like working with tools, working with math, and and it was going to be all on the fly. So, of course, we all said, no way, that's right. going to be insane. But really what I've discovered now that competencies are coming back, it's a way to shoehorn people into being, to leaving the old grading behind. So if you're looking at competencies, which they call, you know, soft skills, which is bullshit because <laughs> they're this need to have a job and keep a job. Um, and... Uh, it's it's a I think it's a way like it was easy for me to be progressive because I saw my professor Ken Ringnold and I saw how he did it, um, and I'm an artist so I was used to that. Uh, but if if you're having trouble implementing project based learning, I gotta suggest uh, come up with competencies. Now you could buy one off the shelf for a hundred grand, or you can make your own competencies up, and that's what I would suggest is come up what what are the skills what are the uh what are the soft skills you want the students to learn what will show that they've ex that they understand what you're teaching that they're able to use it and that they have an understanding on their own and and evaluate them on those skills instead of on um was this paper one day late or was this um you know, did were there grammar mistakes? It's it's learning to uh, make their work better because everywhere in the world, um, you know, people do something. Their boss says, "Hey, I like this, but can you fix this?" And then you fix it, and then you you're done, and you still get a pay raise. Usually, you still get a bonus, and you don't get fired for making a mistake. You don't get a C or an F for making a mistake, and um. I think that's where we need to move to ours. So if you can't be as loose as me, which I guess a lot of people have trouble <laughs> with, I think of myself as super uptight, but I guess I hang around <laughs> other artists. Um, but uh, yeah, compared to artists, I'm super uptight. Compared to teachers, I'm super loose. And if you can't get loose, uh, look up competencies, competency grading on the internet and, and check that out. And you don't need to spend a ton of money on it. None of this costs more money. If anything, I would say it costs less money. Mm. So as you're talking, there's so many questions through my head. And so as I was trying to put it on through like my teacher lens, so we have say a teacher's listening in and they're going, this guy is speaking my language. I'm a, I'm a classroom teacher. I want to do this work, but I work in a, a system. I work in a school district or whatever the thing is, or I have an administrator that, that doesn't see it, that demands that I turn in data every Friday, that demands I've got, you know, three formative assessment checks and, and yada, yada, yada. And, and I know you've had a chance to maybe get out to some other schools outside of, of high tech high. Um, because I also know people will say, well, that's just, it'd be great if I worked at high tech high, but I don't, I work, you know, I work in this public school school here and yada 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 i mean so what would be your advice then to that that classroom teacher that maybe has some constraints wants to do this work maybe the the vision of the district isn't there but they want to plant the seed for people to see that this is a, a good way of learning and teaching how could they get started uh, with some of those ideas that that exactly like what you're talking about and i know it, as a classroom teacher you can weave in those competencies that's something that that's, that can easily be done um, within the system but what would be some other things that maybe you, you suggest or, or people who have reached out to you um, um, over the course of time because I know you've, you've had all sorts of visitors and I, and I know you do some consultant work like what do you do for that like those little pockets I mean it's it's great if there's an admin that sees division is willing to disrupt the system yeah. but it, that's not always the case um, well so, let me preface by I got the shit kicked out of me at high tech high for doing crazy stuff and and people accuse me of all kinds of things and it was because they felt uncomfortable that I was so free and loose to do things. And they're like, how could Jeff get away with it? Because I just beg for 
forgiveness instead of asking for permission. <laughs> I worked in London, in England, and um, and I talked to teachers that said, oh, we can't do this because we have to get this done and this done and this done. And I said, well, can you be fired for not doing it? And they said, no. I said, well, then what are you talking about? <laughs> like, People will always complain if you do something different. And when I first got, when I first started teaching, uh, uh, Kirk Ankeny, who uh, was a great mentor in education, told me two things. He said, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree and cover your ass. And cover your ass means do everything you need to do. And so you could do the wildest project-based learning in your classroom. And remember, people every day all over the world have the kids come to their classroom, they close the classroom doors, and they're crappy teachers. You could close your classroom door and be an amazing teacher, but you still need to have your master. And your ma- if your master tells you, hey, I need, uh, you know, uh, every week I need to have some kind of uh, quiz or test grade, we'll set something up so it's part of it. You can still do things that it doesn't have to be PBL all the time. It doesn't have to be project all the time. You can have the students say, hey, what did we learn this week? Let's do a quiz on it. And some of the projects we did, we did this book on uh, the Newtonian state physics standards because this, uh, <laughs> it's a funny story, but um, this professor at from a University of Chicago where fun goes to die came to High Tech High and saw our exhibition on Bentwood chairs and said, there's no physics in this. And we're, and my physics teaching partner's like, yeah, there's this, there's this, there's this. He's like, well, no, it has to be, you have to have the standards. So the next semester we took the Newtonian state physics standards and the kids illustrated them. And at the bottom we had the standards there. And in the back of the book, we had a test that the kids wrote up and did and then taught to other kids. So you can still put those things in. Don't be a purist. And and I'm saying as I'm a purist and I'm saying people don't be like me. All right. You have these requirements. We'll work it into it. And, and as Larry always said, the artist is he who dances in chains. And the idea behind that, which I didn't understand, was <laughs> everybody has constraints. Everybody needs to uh, – listen to somebody i have to do what my wife says i have to do what my kids say and my dog's looking at me right now and he wants to go for a walk (laughs) and it's it's all these different things and that's okay you got to be creative within the constraints you have you got to do a project within the constraints and if you can't figure it out ask some ask for help it's not such a big deal you could anybody in the world can email me at my email address you have it you can put it up and say hey jeff i want to teach this class what do you think and i'll and i'll give you a couple ideas and you don't have to use my ideas but maybe they'll help you uh in the future but it's coming up with projects coming up with using your subject area uh and showing the kids what it's like to be a chemist, what it's like to be a physicist, what it's like to be an artist is what our job is. And then they go on to college and they get the shit kicked out of them and they go into the workforce and they get beat up. And then they figure out what I'm going to do. But And they say, hey, I really enjoyed chemistry. I could handle, you know, being a cook. You know, it's it's different things like that. And um, you just need to try and you need to be cool about failure. But you need to be cool about letting your students fail and not beating them up, not ruining their lives because you said, oh, it's okay to fail, and then you hold it against them. Yeah. You need to create a way for them to try, revise, critique, and then become successful. Because as a parent, that's what I want. I want my kid to be challenged, and at the end, I want them to come out successful. And if I'm a good teacher, I develop my curriculum, I develop my um, – classroom so that the kids struggle but then through perseverance and my support they're able to become successful and they feel good about themselves if i gave kids if you get if you talk to as an art teacher it's funny i talk to adults all the time people like you would come and visit and they would say oh i'd love to be in your art class but i'm terrible at art and i said well why do you feel like you're terrible at art like well i got to see an art in seventh grade so that (laughs) teacher destroyed any future feeling good about art, yes. you know, and I said, do you go to art museums? They're like, no, because I got to see in art. I mean, what, a, what it, it really matters. And you got to think about it. How would you feel? And, and it's that empathy that you need to have for your students and the struggle that they're going through. And, and I know I sound kind of, you know, um, 
you know, bleeding heart and stuff like that. And and I kind of am the grandpa type now. Like I I'm I'm out of the classroom, but I still I feel like you know we, we should try things. We should experiment, and we should see the kids see us experimenting, and and work with them. But if I made a mistake in the classroom, I can't hold it against my students. Yes, I like that. It reminds me of I had like a, a maker space and when I worked at this middle school, and it was also like our project-based learning room. And I remember I used to bring in my finished products. I was I'm big into like robots and all sorts of tech stuff. And the kids were always like, "Oh, I I can't do that." And I get I would get so frustrated. And I was like, so finally I started like just doing all the tinkering like in the room, and they got to actually watch me like fail 18 million times. And then it just instantly like changed the whole climate of the room and so it was just this whole mindset of like okay i, I don't want them to see my struggle they want them to see my awesome mr mauer's cool project at the end and that was like the worst thing that i could have done and i and i just keep thinking about that you know it's those unintended communication messages that we i don't think we intentionally do you know it's kind of like when you're talking about, about about the c and the art student there's a great graphic online right now and I'm, I'm not sure who gets credit for it but it's talking about standards and competencies with the idea being that like if if you fail to ride your bike the first nine times to get on the tenth time, do you still fail riding your bike? And it's really resonated with me as my daughter learned how to ride her bike this summer. And I'm like, it's not like I'm going to go remind her when she jumps on the bike, you know, um, after school today. Like, hey, remember, you still fail at riding a bike because you didn't figure it out the first nine times. And it's just like, you don't, you don't say that. And yet those are the things that are happening, you know, in classrooms all over. And I think it's something that as you talk about it is really important for us to think about is the unintended messages that we, we sometimes deliver, even though not on purpose or because we want to be malicious. Um, and I think that's, that's something that's, that's really good. You know, um, I do want to transition over to another thing. I, and because one of the things that's really like the bane of my existence, whether we're talking like project-based learning or just classroom structure in general, and I want to get your insights on this is the idea of group work. Um, and, and how you kind of handled that within your space. And I don't know all your projects in great detail, but I know, I remember um, I, I was back for a deeper learning conference and you had the amazing mural project that was up where I know whether the pieces maybe were solo, but they all had to fit, fit together on those big tiles. And I know you had the staircase to nowhere, which obviously has to require um, some group collaboration. And so how do you handle that? Um, because it drove me crazy as an educator, um, and it drives me crazy now as a parent seeing like what my kids go through and the amount of time they spend after school doing work to cover the butts of other kids. Um, so how, you know, and, and as, as you're reflecting on all your years of education. To cover the butts of the teachers with the bad planning. <laughs> yes, like, yes. I'm going to the depot to wood for my son's worm box because – they bought a stack of wood that was wrong, and then the kids keep – and my son knows, like, by now with me, you have to keep the lumber straight because if you put it in a messy pile, it'll twist. And so all of their lumber twisted, and so I'm going to go and buy kiln-dried lumber for out of my own pocket on my own time to do it. So group work is really important, and it's a total pain in the ass. Yes. Uh, but you got to do it. So with um, – what I do, like, with um, – the staircase to nowhere project. The first thing I had the kid was uh, kids do was I gave them a yardstick and in teams of two, they had to go out and define a staircase, come back and go to their physics teacher's class and make a poster with two kids. Then the next thing I had them do was learn to use the saws and cut blocks. And then they each individually but through play and and design made uh, or through play basically made a stair a one to ten scale model separately. Then in teams of two they designed and built a one to five scale model, and then in teams of ten they designed and collaboratively built um, uh, the one to one scale models or the one to one models around the school. So I had them at different times work individually and work uh, together. I planned it out that way. I thought about it. It was intentional, which it needs to be intentional. You need to never group grade. You need to, if you're going to do a group project, you can't have one. Cause like sometimes kids will drag their feet intentionally because they're maybe perfectionists. Maybe they feel like if they, well, if the group doesn't get finished, then we're never, but nobody's going to get a grade. Right. Um, or there's all these things that people have hangups and adults have the same hangups as kids. And I know plenty of adults that would do the same thing. So I'm not bagging on kids. 
kids. It's just human nature. What you have to do is you have to be involved. If you're doing assigning group work, you need to really sit there and talk to the groups. It doesn't mean you just kick back and read the newspaper. You need to be in there, and you never group grade. You, If you group grade, you give everybody an A. But if you don't group grade, you you need to be – it's on you as a teacher. I th- but it, And it sounds really tough, and I'm saying, look, you know, you're completely culpable for bad grouping. You shouldn't – if there's a problem in the group, you need to help them solve the problem. You can't just say, hey, solve it on your own because you won't like the way that some kids solve problems. And, you know, it's like the, the old days of when I grew up, you know, like – where where bullying was part of the curriculum, you can't do that anymore. And so sometimes kids can just um, the kids that are the obstructionists are kind of the bullies. And so you really need to be on on there. You have to watch it even closer. And to be honest with you, one semester I would do group work, and one semester I would do singular work. Or sometimes within the semester putting the components together, I would do one thing that was group and one thing that was on their own. If I really wanted to see what they were understanding, I had them do the work on their own or do something else on their own. So you really need to be the manager. It's just like in a workplace. I'm working now with this uh, design company and I have guys that are out building stuff and they work pretty great together. And I have guys in the office that fight like mad with each other and <laughs> take, each, take credit for each other's work. And which I do damn well. I like stayed there till eight o'clock last night doing their work. And today they're going to say that the, each of them is going to say that it was them that created it. And um Adults, you gotta love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, but I, it's funny. I'm working with adults doing Photoshop, photography, and working with wood, and it's the same thing as working with kids. It's amazing. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh. So you just need to be there. There's no cutting corners. You have to manage it. And and it's. I know it's a ton of work, and I know it's a lot to ask for teachers, but it helps the students, and it'll help you understand, too. It'll make your life better. It'll make you understand even your relationships better. And I would have to say that working with kids and teaching them to collaborate helped me collaborate better with my wife, with my kids, with my parents, even with my mother-in-law. So <laughs> it even helps teachers. So it's you have to facilitate it. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, or you could take this magic pill that I'm selling for six ninety five. Hey, there you go. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. That'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be. <laughs> well, hey, I want, I want to be respectful of your time, but I do have. If, if you're up for it, do you do you have time for yes. another one or two questions? Sure. Okay. Sure. So one of the things that has come up that that I've I've never heard until like the last two years, and so I don't know if it's just because now I'm outside of like uh, the middle school I worked at for fourteen years, where we were all trying to figure it out together and now I've kind of got this bigger lens I work with all sorts of school districts um, and from day to day and and when we have conversations around project-based learning and I'm just I don't know if you've ever come across this or not but is some of the pushback that I'm getting as I introduce like the ideas of have you thought about project-based learning as opposed to just packet worksheets every single day with desk and rows and, and then you're, you're wondering why kids aren't engaged and that kind of thing um, the pushback is, well, we don't want to do PBL because it's teacher-driven, not student-driven, and we're trying to create student agency, which is why we're looking at personalized learning and, you know, and all these digital tools where kids just put headsets on and, you know, and have their own personalized pathways of learning. Um, and so I'm, I'm – <laughs> I, I'm not sure how to wrap my head around it, and, I'm, and I, I don't know if you've ever had anyone kind of challenge the idea of, of exactly. PBL being teacher-driven, so and it's just it's, – it's, it's one that it's – it needs to be – the teacher needs to set the parameters. You can't have a project-based learning classroom where you say, do whatever project you want. It never works. I've tried it, and it doesn't work. We've tried it a million times at High Tech High, and they get one or two pieces from kids that already knew how to do what they did. You, as a teacher, set the parameters, and within that parameters, that that the artist is he who dances in chains again, and you give them voice and choice. You give an open-ended project where they need to find something they're interested in, and then you see what they're interested in, and you help them uh, culture the idea, help them build this idea, figure out what it, help them figure out what they want to do or make or show that's going to show that they understand that idea. That doesn't sound teacher driven. It's teacher supported. Mm, this like new that. push, this new push for identity and, and looking in whether at the student, it's this thing that's going on where 
where instead of having the kids read books, instead of them having them uh, bake and do things, they sit around and they talk about how they feel about things, what their personal identity is. They have, they, uh, this one gal said, I had my students write a 10 page personal identity papers and they were terrible. And I said, well, let me see yours that you wrote. She said, well, what do you mean? I didn't write it. I'm the teacher. I'm like, well, how do you know yours would be good? I'm 50 years old and my resume is three quarters of a page. I, I don't, I don't have, I don't, there's, I mean, I couldn't write 10 pages about me, like right. maybe restaurants that I've eaten at um, and what I thought about them. But it's <laughs> not, this whole idea that you're going to learn from yourself is, is, it's true. You do. It's important to know where you're coming from, but it's in the context of doing work. It's like team building. The idea of going to a ropes course is going to build teamwork. You know what's going to build teamwork is if people have real work to do and they work together, they're going to build a team. It's like it. it it's funny too because I was in Australia speaking, and the people that I went to a super conservative school, and the people that bought right into it were the coaches. Or if I worked with the physics teacher, was the engineer. And so having an artist and an engineer, that's exactly how, uh, you know, factories work. Um, but just doing personal stuff or having people come in and lecture the students about social justice. I, I, I'm a firm believer in social justice. And one of my videos is about equity. And you know what brings social justice? When kids do projects and kids that girls build when a certain class of students is able to be more successful than, than what people thought they were capable of, that these kids that were such a pain in the butt in their last class come into this class and they're able to really excel because they're not being held back by some kind of artificial gatekeeper. That's social justice. And, and that's important. And, and you learn this by working, by doing, not by sitting around and lecturing or preaching to people because if preaching worked, this world would be a lot better of a place a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's that your, your salvation in, in, in school and in life is doing and making and showing and trying hard to, to, you know, um, care about what you're working on and what you're doing. And if it's only about you, we're really developing these pretty self-centered people. And it's, and it smacks of, modernism and i'm going to get a little arty on you right now but modernism kind of was birthed out of hemingway and picasso these guys that said i'm doing art about myself i'm doing i'm writing about myself and my own things and i'm original and i'm completely original well picasso ripped off african masks um hemingway ripped off other people's cultures he just appropriated bullfighting he appropriated hunting you know it it's it, so taking someone else's vernacular does not and does not make it original and then came postmodernism with warhol and hip-hop and all these things that where we take something from the past and we make it our own and this movement towards what students are doing brings us back to modernism this idea that oh i'm going to be original or i'm going to write about me and my struggle and what it really says is then people stop realizing that everybody has the same struggle i used to always read the outsiders with i was an english teacher oh, for a long great time book, yes <laughs> And I and then I would read it with and I worked in a school district that or I worked in a school that had I mean it was like a rainbow everybody was from a different culture and and the kids would say, say hey I feel like I'm a greaser and then this other kid's like I'm a greaser they're like no you're so and I'm like hey do you guys start to realize that everybody thinks they're an outsider I'm a teacher here and I'm surrounded by kids I'm the outsider and it like kind of blew their mind a little bit but this this like movement towards this is is uh, exceptionalism, it's modernism, it's chauvinistic, and it's, um, it's, I think it's a wrong impulse. And it's this idea if we could work together and we could all be successful and we develop, teachers develop projects that everybody in the class can find success, that's equity. That's social justice. Everybody to be successful and can take care of themselves. And I know I sound old-fashioned and stuff, and I'm still crazy liberal, but I, I don't believe, evidently I'm not as crazy as I used to be. Um, I think that you need to work with people and do something. You're, you're, what you, you're what you do and you make. You're not what your opinion is, mm. you know? Yeah, I love that. I love that. 
And so it's so good. I think there's so much there there to think of. And so I've got one final question, then we'll we'll, we'll bring this to a close so you can get on with your day because I know you've got got a lot going on. So people's brains are probably exploding right out of their, their ear holes right now with all the things that you're giving them to think about. And it's so good. And it's so spot on. And so one of the things that I always had a question for you um, was like, how did you, how were you able to sustain um, this type of teaching and learning environment for the long haul like you did? Um, and I know not everybody, you know, um, I mean, people think high tech high is perfect. And I know like every other institution, there are flaws and everything built in just like everything else. I mean, we, we all have it. But I think one of the hard things I, I think about the, the educators that I used to work with, and it was hard, like every year trying to come up with with something new, something innovative. And and how do we find the resources and the people to get involved? And and those, you know, just trying they start it, they get excited. But what happens when it just kind of becomes the norm? Like, how do you keep the, the energy levels engaged and going? And so um, what advice or tips? Because you did it longer than anybody. I mean, you were you were the the founder yeah. of High Tech High. You you did it for seventeen years, whatever how many years it was. And and I know now you're doing other things. But holy cow, like that's a lot. And I, this is going to sound contrite and a little silly, but narcissism, a healthy dose of me caring that my students made great work. The idea that I was using them, I was using my students as a medium as, and I was the artist. Um, the idea that, um, I thought, um, when we first started high tech high, we were going to be every buzzword in ed week, the week that we got together, like we were going to do everything, personalized learning plans, all this stuff. And, um, and one of the things was personalization. And I honestly, I I was kind of dopey from writing our mission statement and all this stuff. And I was like, um, personalization oh we'll we'll teach what we personally like and and everybody said no 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 it's personalization <laughs> for the kids and i was like oh but i like typical me i went for what i was interested in so like when we did the bentwood chair projects i had gone to sf moma and i saw these beautiful mid-century bentwood chairs or early 20th century bentwood chairs i talked to the physics teacher and i said hey let's try and do it and he's like, great, let's do it. Or when I, uh, when, when I was sitting with my dad, who's a pathologist, and, and he was telling me about the blood bank and all the things that happened at the blood bank and because and he, he was working there and, and, and blood physiology and, and AIDS and all these different things. And I said, wow, that's interesting. That's a great project. So I went out in the world and I listened to things. I saw what I was interested in and I brought it into the classroom because if the teacher's excited and happy and wants to look into something that students will be too. Yes. I don't, I never did the same project twice. I made sure that I didn't do anything that was like, I mean, I'm really into green technology. I'm really, we have planners, we do everything we possibly can, but I never did a green thing like in the, in 10 years ago when it was really popular, I didn't jump on to like what, what was popular. I jumped onto what was interesting that I thought could be rich for the kids. And I developed things so that there were lots of possibilities. If you go through my website on the history of projects, um, you'll see that there are some kids that did the projects like with the staircase to nowhere. And then there was this one section that was rebels among us. They're like, we don't want to build staircases. And I said, well, fine. You have to do something collaboratively. It has to use physics and it has to add to the community, do something. And then the kids came back with videos. They made bridges. They made geodesic hand zones. They did all these different things that still met the, the requirements that I wanted. And so, it was things that I was interested in. So I put a lot of energy into it. And, and you know, I could have spent more time at home. And I probably ended up making about five bucks an hour for how much work I put into it. But I really enjoyed myself. And then, you know, like yesterday I went to a parent-teacher meeting at High Tech High. And I had – and the meeting was about, like, what projects could we do? How could we improve projects at High Tech High? And I put 30 books that I had made with my students in a – in a tote bag and I weighed like 50 pounds and I walked in there and I handed them out to people and say, these are the projects that I did here before. This is just like me and a couple other teachers. We could have this everywhere. And, and it's, it's, everybody could do a good project. Everybody can, everybody has an interest in it. And if you don't have an interest in your subject area and you're a teacher, 
why are you doing it? Right. I, I you know, like a teacher said to me one time, oh, I wish I could teach this way, but I can't. I have to teach exactly what they tell me to teach. And one, I knew that was probably bullshit. Right. But I'm like, well, why? I'm and their boss was there. I'm like, oh, I would quit. Like if somebody was telling me what I had to do all day long, what's the point? You could get other jobs. You could, you know, be a mailman. You could work at a call center and you'll make way more money per hour than you're doing. You're miserable now and you can't make any choices. Well, don't do it. What What are you doing? Like, what is it? And then it kind of puts them like, it's kind of like what you say to a child? Like, well, look, you know, you could have hamburgers or hot dogs for dinner. We're not making anything else. And so it made the teachers feel that way. But you know, it's, it's, you, you have to love something and you bring that into the classroom. And, um, and I think it's, it's, it's what made me so prolific there. It's something I really enjoyed. Um, and it's, uh, and it, and it taught me a lot and it, and it showed me like, even then when I retired, which is something that teachers need to think about, I felt kind of crappy for mm-hmm. up until very recently I had to take the halo of being a teacher off so since I was 21 years old I was working in schools and now I'm 50 and I'm not a teacher anymore I'm just like a retired dad you know like who paints and and like does like design silly things in wood and 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 I and I don't get to say I'm a teacher anymore I I you know I go around and I do projects I do uh, talk with people but you don't have that that and so it's having having skills having interests really helps you as a teacher then transition out of teaching because I think that's really important too uh, being a teacher is really hard and and I used to blame teachers I used to say they're lazy and then I started blaming administrators saying they're they're lazier you know they sit in their desks and they never go out there um, and now I'm not blaming anybody. You, you got to do what's going to make your life happy. And teaching, you could, can swallow your whole life. And and um, and I don't think that's the way to go. You need to find some balance. So if you're able to bring in things you love into the classroom, that gives you the balance. I got to paint with kids, and I love to paint. I got to work with wood with kids, and I love to work with wood. I like to make work on Photoshop, and I did that with my students. I, everything that I was interested in, I brought it into the classroom, and that's what we worked on. We were. I love Bob Dylan. I have like every Bob Dylan record. Unfortunately, now I I don't need to own them all. Um, I can't even play them anymore. Um, <laughs> But I love Bob Dylan and I thought, oh, his songs have such great vision and we were going to make videos and the two scariest words in the human language is uh, student film for me because they're so bad. And so I had the students take a Dylan song and put images to it that so they could work on their timing. Like when Bob would say, you know, like uh, Georgia Sam had a bloody nose and, right. and the yep. apartment didn't tell him to wear any clothes and, and – um, I screwed up the lyrics. Anyway, the kids would make videos on that and they would learn by showing Bob Dylan songs. And so they learned about Dylan. They learned about the 60s. They learned about folk music protests. They learned about so much and they made these animations. So I brought in something that I love and then they could do whatever they wanted with them. Even some of the kids re-recorded the songs and one of the kids said, hey, this sounds like hip hop or it sounds like rap. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of is. So go for it. So he he redid that. And I had the freedom to let him do that. And it taught them what they needed to know. It taught them how to use Photoshop. It taught them about copyright. It taught them about uh it taught them about timing. It taught them about pacing. It taught them so much that they needed to learn. And through doing that, instead of me lecturing, you need to know about timing. They learned about timing because they made something. It's like the same way I teach painting. They learn to paint by painting. You don't learn to paint by doing exercises. And so this whole idea of doing exercises is going to get you good at something is, is crazy. You have to try it, critique it, revise it, and improve it. I love it. I love it. And I think that's a, that, that's a great idea and concept for anybody listening to kind of end this this conversation on is going back and thinking about what it is that you love. And I wonder how many people have have lost sight. I think about adults in general who have lost the sight of what are my hobbies, what do I enjoy doing. And I think 
there there's, seems to be more and more people that really can't answer that question. And I think whether you're a teacher or not, or a parent or anybody, this, I mean, that goes beyond just edu- educators. Like, what is it that you enjoy doing? And um, I think that, that, that that's a good starting point. It's something to people to think about. How do we go back to infusing that into our classroom and our practices so we stay fresh with what we're doing? It helps kids, as you talk about communication, understanding one another, realizing that we're humans too. Like, my first name isn't Mr. I have a first name, and I actually... <laughs> You know, I do stuff besides grade papers on the weekends. I mean, there's there's all these things, and the more we infuse that into what we do, um, it, it it just strengthens the whole whole learning environment. And I think that that's uh, such, such such great stuff for us to think about. Um, Jeff, this has been absolutely phenomenal. I, I thank you for uh, sticking on for a little bit longer than, than than what I told you. So many many nuggets of wisdom and things for us to really go back and think critically about our, our teaching practices and then having the courage to go back and actually start to do this because at the end of the day, ideas are useless if we don't do anything with them. And so hopefully you take these ideas um, and, and, and start to think about how to transform your classroom. And so Jeff, if people want to reach out to you, they want to learn more about you in case they haven't heard of you before or your work, where can they go? Where can they find you? We'll link it all in the show notes, but uh, this is your chance to kind of plug that stuff so people can, can, can find sure. you. Um, I'm on uh, jeffrobin.com, so R-O-B-I-N, and um, I have my email address on there that you can get in touch with me. It's a little long. Um, And uh, you can check out my videos, check out the projects that I did with my students and that I'm currently doing. You can check out my art. Um, I I will do workshops with people. I've done a lot of keynotes this year. Somehow I've done more keynotes than workshops. Um, (laughs) I guess I'm, I'm... it's fun to have a funny guy that can get up and say speak in a keynote. It's not so fun maybe to have a funny guy like yeah. give your teachers a hard time in a workshop. But I I think I'm getting softer and sweeter, so um, I'd be happy to <laughs> I'd be happy to do whatever uh, w- would work. And um, and uh, you know it's just it's something it's a process. It's something that we all go through and we do better, but and we get worse sometimes but it's teachings you know it's it's a marathon it's not it's not a a, a sprint and um and then make sure you have some gas some uh, gas in the tank for when you retire because you want to be able to do things you want to be able to do all the things that you were teaching your students mm-hmm. and um and and try and have fun at work because otherwise you should you know life's too short to be miserable that's so, true that's true awesome yeah. Well, Jeff, thank you so much uh, for your time. All right, thank you.